and the capes are so heavy. Oh, really? Yeah, they're really heavy. And you often, at the end of Elvis's career, he starts throwing them into the audience. I think it's to get rid of them so he doesn't have to use them. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Art of Costume Blogcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass. And I'm Spencer Williams. Elizabeth, how are you? Hi, I'm excellent. How is your Catherine Martin March treating you? It is treating me well. It is treating (laughs) me well. Going back to Great Gatsby was like... That was like such a throwback. I loved that. I know. I've been listening to like Lana Del Rey music again, like every single day now. It's the curse. (laughs) I know. I know. It's crazy. And then aside from our Catherine Martin obsession, I started binge watching Lucifer on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A little different, but... (laughs) I was like, huh, what should I watch? And then I just like turned it on and I like have not stopped watching it. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like a lot of a lot of different things are in my life right now. And I like it. It's keeping it interesting. <laughs> right. I'm. That's so cool. I have been, you know, we're about to talk about really exciting films. So I've really been living in that world for like literally a week. I've been rewatching the same movie over and over. Mm-hmm. So then my comfort is running to this uh, cartoon on Disney Plus because the Guardians of the Galaxy is getting ready to end. So I'm watching this really like kids version of this guardians of the galaxy cartoon it's i know it's very it's very childlike but it's like a happy place right now you know just have it on in the background um just some good old i don't want guardians to end it's making i'm starting to get sad the closer it gets i know i am excited for james gunn though going over to dc oh yeah and being like okay we're gonna fix this oh man you and i have talked about this off mic a lot but i'm very excited it's time to clean some things up Mm -hmm. i am confident if there's anyone that could turn around dc it's james gunn and peter safran i mean we've talked about james gunn a lot a lot on this podcast he is a genius um so yeah i don't know dc you should be very excited i know it doesn't feel like it now but just Remember this moment, like three years from now, you know, you're going to be so excited. I'm just because DC has so many great stories and I'm excited for just them to just like be cohesive in like one timeline. There's so much potential. So much. But enough about DC and Guardians of the Galaxy. Elizabeth, what did we watch this week? This week we entered an entirely different universe the universe of elvis oh my gosh (laughs) this film is a treat and i i've seen it quite a few times now um you know first time in theaters and i've just been watching at home 
And every single time I watch it, I love it more and more. There's just so much great storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first I think people might get caught off guard by, you know, the flashiness of it or, you know, the wonkiness of Tom Hanks or whatnot. (laughs) But as you get into it, I just think it's such a beautiful film and such a great tribute. And I'm excited to talk about it. It really, really was. And like, I'm not a huge Elvis fan, um, but, you know, he's it's just like a classic artist. So I was interested to see, uh, you know, kind of his story in a this artistic way. And it just I loved it. And I, like, I wasn't expecting that. It was so good. Right. I really feel like this should be a template for any biopic going forward, honestly. I yeah. think that this was just brilliant. Baz Luhrmann, Catherine Martin. It's... Uh, uh, okay. Austin Butler is... <laughs> he is great in this role. That's he what is. I'll say. <laughs> He's excellent. Yeah. I was happily surprised by everything, if I'm right. being honest. Well, let's just get into it, Elizabeth. I'll start us off with a summary Elvis explores the life of Elvis Presley from his childhood to becoming an American music icon in the 1950s through the 1970s while maintaining a complex relationship with his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. And that is Elvis. That is Elvis. If you don't want spoilers, stop here. Let's go behind the wardrobe. We have director Baz Luhrmann. And costume designer extraordinaire, Catherine Martin, who was also the production designer on Elvis. You will know her work from Moulin Rouge, which she got her first Oscar win. Australia, for which she got her second nomination. The Great Gatsby, which we talked about last week and for which she got her second Oscar win, as well as The Get Down. Spencer, I don't know about you, but I am so excited for this episode because we have a little surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When we planned Catherine Martin March, we didn't think that we would actually be able to have the Catherine Martin on our podcast. I am so excited to introduce costume designer Catherine Martin. Welcome, Catherine. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me today. We're so excited to talk to you. Well, I'm thrilled. And we, uh, with modern technology, we're able to be bi-coastal and transcontinental. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I don't think we've ever had a guest. From the American continent to the Australian <laughs> continent. I love it. Well, it's such an honor to have you here with us. When we originally planned out Catherine Martin March, we didn't think actual Catherine Martin would be on the podcast. So we're super excited. Well, I'm thrilled. I'm just thrilled to be part of it. <laughs> and I'll make sure my children know that somewhere in the world, people are dedicating um, <laughs> some interest and attention to what I do. Because let us say their level of interest is limited. <laughs> yeah, you better. This is going to give me a lot of cred, and I'm going to. It's going to give me a lot of cred. <laughs> yeah, you better tell everybody. Yeah, I'm telling everyone. Uh, so. We have a lot of congratulations in order. First, before we get into it, not only were you nominated for Best Achievement in Costume Design, you were also nominated for Best Achievement in Production Design and Best Motion Picture of the Year. I mean, that is a first on the podcast. 
I know this film is no small project. What? How does this feel? It's kind of overwhelming. It feels sometimes a little bit like it's happening to somebody else because, of course, you don't think of yourself in those kind of terms. You put your shoes on one at a time and you put your legs and your pants, you know, one at a time. But I think when I have time to reflect, I feel incredible gratitude that the movie has been recognised. And when the movie is recognised, that means that my team as a whole is recognised. And I am not a singular person doing everything by myself. I have an incredible team of hundreds of people who support me, who work tirelessly, who, you know, kept the faith when the movie was shut down because of COVID and came back to work incredibly hardworking people who get to be on the credit roll at the end, but very rarely get any kind of limelight or accolade. And I just feel very happy that they can put on their CVs that they worked on an Academy nominated movie. I think it's just, it's a little tiny payback to them. And I also feel really proud and happy that Baz is being recognised in the best picture category because I think what he brings to the process really is what enables all of his collaborators to shine. You know, we are indebted to his vision, to his perseverance, to his inclusivity, to his undying passion for the work and the collegiate way in which he includes all of us in it. So that makes me very happy too. Right. And you're known for really, uh, you know, collaborating with an incredible team that's usually quite large, but they're all so magnificent. And I'm so happy that they're all also getting that recognition as well, um, being on this project with you and all your projects, honestly. Uh, So let's get into all things Elvis. I want to start from the beginning, which comes down to the research. We often hear of costume designers doing research into eras, you know, far gone, years and years away. But we're talking about one of the most photographed people, most recorded people in the world. So um, this is not a documentary also. So I was wondering, how did you come to research this project? And is there such a thing as too much research or too much content? Oh, my goodness. That is a really interesting question because, you know, in many parts. So let me deal with a man who's possibly the most photographed person on the planet or one of the most photographed people on the planet. There isn't a day that goes by where new photos aren't unearthed by someone and sent to me of (laughs) of this person because we're in a night. You're like, I'm done. I'm done. I got it all. It's not even, it's just incredible because what the internet has done is allow us this enormous resource. Um, It's an incredible social history tool because you not only are able to access all the professional photos or well-known photos, but people discover in their own personal archives, um, fan photography or you know, Super 8, that someone took at a concert and it's constantly being curated and uploaded online. Also, to me, that's fantastic because it's 
living and breathing that legacy and it's a constant detective work to kind of unpick history, you know, um, and to see, to forensically understand what Elvis wore, how he wore it, when he wore it, who he was with, how he was wearing it, what the people around him were wearing. I mean, that fundamentally understanding the character through clothes and understanding how history and clothes intersect in any given individual is really what drives me as a costume designer. So I've been really lucky working with Baz, who is so exigent when it comes to research. And he basically spent 18 months on and off in Graceland researching and working and going through the archives. and writing the script there. We started about five years ago seriously starting to work on the movie. Baz had thought about Elvis and wanting to do a movie that was on the subject of Elvis and was interested in the subject when I met him 30 years ago. So this is a, you know, with Baz, it's a really slow burn. And we're lucky enough because Baz is really focused on research and on the visual storytelling. You know, he comes to the party with his own little sketches and tear sheets and reference images. So he always has a clear vision of how he wants to see things. And so what is great about that is that we often have a slow burn at the beginning. So we don't, the studio doesn't just go, oh, Baz Luhrmann movie, we're going to give him as much money as he wants and he can have as many people. That <laughs> really? That's how I kind of imagined it. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Maybe you could write to them and tell them that's how it should work. But what yeah. happens is that we all, it's a, a small team that starts working way out before we get the larger team on. And so Karen Murphy, who is the co-production designer, started about a year before we started filming and or start started pre-production. So it's a process of adding on collaborators as we go slowly so that when we get to actually having um, the huge machine on board, we're really, really prepared. And is there too much research? I think that you can never do too much research, but one of the problems is your brain is unable to hold all those images in your mind at once. But I think what extensive research does is it primes your brain. So you kind of have this you know, I think it's like fertilizing the soil and putting compost in the soil and preparing fallow ground for something great to grow because it's impossible to remember everything. But, you know, once you've done that research, you know what to look for or you'll have in your brain that there's a lead. But it does become, yes, difficult to, in your brain, kind of, um, go kind of, so what do you call it, like put your arms around all the information. And sometimes we force ourselves 
to go back to the very beginning and look through all the images we've been collecting because the way that the 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 visuals start is there'll be an injection from Baz he'll ask us to do very various research projects to help um guide the script so he knows what things look like and what people wore so he can include them in the writing process and as the script is being developed we're starting to make he'll have editorial Jono and Matt will be starting to make animatic reels that reflect the script and in the art department we'll start making books um which we actually print out wow. um wow. that <laughs> basically start to tell the visual story of the script so it starts off with documentary images this happens on all the movies or not they're either photographic found images um research images or in this case documentary images telling the story or inspiration images and then as it progresses this document the the documentary photography starts to be replaced with concept art and costume sketches and pictures of costume fittings with Austin and um we often make books that are adjunct to this sort of storytelling visual storytelling bible that are books specifically for for actors to kind of help them with their research journey on the character so we'll do an elvis specific book or we'll do a colonel specific book or we'll do um you know a gladys presley specific book that has input from baz's researchers from the writers and from the art department um and that helps to start kind of editing down all the images and finding all the key stuff that has been signed off by Baz and is sort of agreed as the sort of visual storytelling map. The the problem is that as the process revs up and revs up and you're busier and busier and busier each day, it's difficult to keep all that information in your brain. So we do occasionally force ourselves to go back to the very beginning and look at all those documents that were created to refresh our memories because sometimes you might be struggling with something only to find you'd actually done the work you know 8 months earlier a couple months ago kind of yeah. <laughs> you'd handed in your assignment you'd actually done it and you could just get it out of the drawer um yeah. instead of having to do it all over again so to me i think it's important that i don't think there's ever too much research but yes it's a constant the edit of the images the the way of consuming imagery making sure that it's shared with all the collaborators so they have access to all of that that it's all the images that baz has created and signed off on and everybody knows how to get it it's a constant struggle and there's always fights about it at the beginning but no one can get onto the server no one knows how to use box. <laughs> the password never worked. No one understands the filing. And so that, that, there's there's always a period of IT angst at the beginning. Yeah, I love that. I love that it's such a involved process and that you really like plan it out. And it looks like you really lay it out for everybody. Um, another 
really big collaborator for you guys who I'm sure had a lot of input was the Elvis Presley estate. What was it like working with them? Well, look, they were, you know, basically once they agreed, you know, and they signed on with Warner Brothers, they agreed to make the movie it was really about Baz's telling of the story and they were incredibly generous. And Angie Marchese, who's the chief archivist and basically keeper really of the flame of everything that is the history and the kind of legacy of Elvis, that generosity just allowed us to really dig in in a really personal and human way to the characters that are in the movie and to the places that are in the movie. So, you know, when we went to Graceland, we'd seen colour photos of Graceland just before Elvis goes to the army and Graceland is sort of a Wedgwood blue. And a lot of photography online, people are getting better and better at colourising pictures, so you have to be really careful that you're not just looking at a colorized picture. Mm. So that was one of our investigations. And in the process of all of the questions and all of the visits to Graceland, Karen Murphy and I and my longtime collaborator, Chris Tangy, we went on an extensive road trip in the South and spent a considerable amount of time at Graceland. And we were asking Angie about it. And she said, yes, it was blue in that period. And there's actually in this hall closet, she opens the coat closet in the hallway <laughs> at Graceland. It's that colour. Wow. And so oh my gosh. You know, there we are with our Benjamin Moore paint chips, mm-hmm. you know, kind of looking to find to match that colour. So the estate and Angie, just so generous and so helpful to have such unfettered access because it allows you, I mean, we were nervous. We're Australians. We're not American. <laughs> it's not our cultural media. We don't live in the South of America. So you can imagine we were really nervous about not only being true to Elvis's legacy and respectful, but at the same time we wanted to reproduce things because we knew that we were going to have to build everything in Australia. So we Mm -hmm. really wanted to seep ourselves in everything from, you know, doing a survey, getting a proper survey done of how Graceland sits on the rise in Memphis so we could find exactly that same bit of topography in Australia to build the facade of Graceland. We built about a a one-and-a-half-storey facade of um, Graceland and the driveway um, outside the front, and then we had to build the interior, the downstairs. We built all of it except for the kitchen on stage. (laughs) So there were lots of calipers getting dimensions of all of the window frames and thousands of photos taken and a brilliant art directing team who basically took on each of these sets and then on top of all the research we did in person they would pour over photos and create these extraordinary kind of visual I don't know if you call them maps, but basically like <laughs> yeah. historical, like 
Graceland when it was built. This was it three days later. And, you know, you could just see the progression of the place. That's amazing. And it comes through so well, um, especially with Elvis's wardrobe and Austin Butler's phenomenal now nominated performance. One thing I found incredible was how much he moves and how were you able to translate that necessity into the costumes? Well, look, um, when it comes to the jumpsuits, for instance, they were originally designed by a designer called Bill Ballou, who designed Elvis's costumes for the 68 special because he was the in-house costume designer at NBC. And I did an enormous, I'd seen some reproduction costumes that I thought were very interesting and well done at Graceland when I'd been there in the gift shop. And I noticed where they'd been made. So I started to look because I thought, you know what, with jumpsuits and with all the decoration and all of that embroidery and the specificness, there are people that make it their life's work to reproduce that. I mean, it's an entire industry, you know, uh, tribute artists. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I thought, right, there are people in this world. There must be, why are we reinventing the wheel? I need to get into how to do this. Also, chain stitch embroidery is a very particular American um, Western technique too. Yeah. Of doing all that kind of chain stitch embroidery. It's very specific. And so I did a lot of research online and I finally realised and I went to visit them in Indiana, BK Enterprises, who made the majority of jumpsuits. We did make some in Australia because we needed to Mm -hmm. and they became our primary collaborator on that process because they had actually had a friendship with Bill Ballou. They'd got permission from him to reproduce the jumpsuits. They He had given them his patterns, uh, introduced he, um, um, the couple that run um, BK Enterprises to the t- um, Elvis's tailor, the belt maker, and also to his assistant at the time, Jean Doucet, who still works with them. And he embroidered one of he embroidered, chain stitched, embroidered, and studded, studded and bejeweled the majority of Elvis's jumpsuits. And he's still alive. And one of the fantastic things in the show that's very meaningful to me is that. He embroidered Elvis's sundial outfit, which is the jumpsuit that he wears when he's singing um, Unchained Melody at the end. And he also embroidered Austin's. And to me, that was a really special connection. So the process was that we just had once we got the suits, we altered some of the fabric choices because we wanted it to be closer to the archival fabric. So we had um, special wools made in Italy to match Elvis's suits and they went to BK. BK would send the suits to Australia. Also, we needed multiples. As it was, we had somewhere between we ramped up and ramped down. I think we started with six people in the wardrobe department and ended up with 120. <laughs> so 
it was also <laughs> an incredible resource to have people that knew how to make these things and could make identical multiples because we're looking at the one of the blue suits where well, we had three of those and so and two belts and so the volume in jumpsuits, we needed an entire room just to hold the jumpsuits alone because they're big <laughs> with the cape and all the belts, the jewellery. So it was like it was a really fantastic collaboration and we would get the jumpsuits in Australia and then they would need to be fitted and changed because we had, um, you know, Elvis changes his body shape and so we had a number of fat suits for want of a better word that we needed to try all the jumpsuits on and so some of the measurements we'd given BK were approximate then there were different you know his body is different to the Joe blogs down the road and so our tailor in Australia would painstakingly refit all the jumpsuits when they got there so he could move. And with the white jumpsuit, I think we had about six of them. And, you know, there was the pristine one for close-ups. There was the one that just got trashed because he rolls around on the floor a lot. (laughs) Well, you know, not exactly, but like kneeling on the ground and all of that sort of stuff. And so it's about making sure um, and that's where your team, like his personal dresser, um, Austin's personal dresser, was just fantastic at maintaining all of this and being on top of which suit needed to be used for what purpose. I love that so much. And I just love talking to you. I have so many questions. And it's so crazy because, like, uh, I'm so glad we got help with the jumpsuits because as it was, on top of the, I think it's like 26 jumpsuits that Elvis wears, there were over 70 completely tailored, fabricated outfits that were made by our tailor in Australia. So it just the sheer volume was kind of punishing. Yeah. Right. That's <laughs> so many costumes and, you know, such a reckonable person. I mean, I can't even imagine. And also, I wish I could live in that jumpsuit closet. That sounds like a great place to be. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> and the capes are so heavy. Oh, really? Yeah, they're really heavy. And you often, at the end of Elvis's career, he starts throwing them into the audience. I think it's to get rid of them so he doesn't have to use them. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, okay, so one of my favorite parts of the film was watching the evolution of Elvis from the 50s to the 70s. So I'd really like to go along with you and just highlight some of these you know, specific eras of his. The first stage, which is personally my favorite, is seeing the young rockabilly Elvis. I love the color palettes, the way his clothes fit. And, you know, it still felt really Catherine Martin, Baz Luhrmann. But then also at the same time, you look at some photos and you're like, wow, they really captured the essence too of Elvis. So what was it like working on the rockabilly phase, especially with the Beale Street influence? Well, it was really challenging because Bass made the really salient point that what we think of Elvis wearing in the 50s has just become part of tasteful male, the lexion of tasteful male dressing, right? Mm, right? And how did we find a way of, you know, he couldn't be dressed like an alien or like Johnny Rotten from Sex Pistols. <laughs> 
it needed to be in the vocabulary of the clothes that he actually wore. It was kind of the challenge was how do you make sure that everyone knows what a punk he was <laughs> and how threatening he was to um, the parental generation, how his movement was challenging, how he chose to wore his hair, how he expressed himself through clothes, why that became, you know, a kind of a, a Tinder strike for youth culture. Right. Mm -hmm. We started just looking at those pictures in the early 50s and trying to to find um, touchstones that we could say, oh, even today that would be to some degree challenging. So, for instance, in this early 50s period, he wore a lot of lace shirts that we do believe came from, oh, my God, my brain. Sometimes I just have these, like, ridiculous moments of just blanking <laughs> about the name of the store that he bought all of his clothes from. Anyway, it will come to me. <laughs> and so Lansky's. So uh, we believe he bought these lace shirts from Lansky's. Also, Lansky's preferred colour palette one of their preferred colour palettes were black and pink. And also Elvis's best friend Jerry told me that Elvis's favourite colours were black and pink in this period. And so we kind of thought, right, okay, that's the beginning. That gives us a little way in. But how do we, when ostensibly in every historical photo he's, he is wearing a jacket and pants, whatever the shirt is, how do we make sure that his movement, the sensuality, the sexuality of who Elvis was and the edginess of the clothes come through? And that was a process of experimentation. So in the late 40s and early 50s, Elvis was still wearing this Hollywood jacket style, which is kind of like a shacket. It's what he wears at Hayride the pink and black suit. And what I think both Baz and I liked about it was it had this kind of, it looked like a suit jacket, but it moved like a shirt. And it allowed the sensuality of the movement to be expressed in the drape of the jacket. And then there was the pants and the wiggle. And that was a, just a process of trying a lot of different cuts of pants to find the right um, fullness at the front, the firmness on the seat. So it wasn't like, you know, kind of baggy kind of diaper pants <laughs> to peg the legs at the bottom. So, you know, they were held down around the ankles so but so that the front could still wiggle and that was a process of experimentation we had done a lot of it we were shut down just before we started shooting baz had already started wearing a lot of the clothes as had austin to try and find the movement and experiment with the choreography and during covid we doubled down on it and so working with baz I went and I took all the wardrobe and he started and we did a bunch of workshops to kind of just finesse exactly the fit and movement of, you know. And it's also about fabric too. We had a great English mill 
that we discovered on this show that makes all of these wools in extraordinary colours and in vintage weights. And so that made it, you know, that was part of the discovery process too, just finding the correct fabric. I, I love that. And I am obsessed with these color palettes. The pink and the black is so striking. It's no wonder that's such a favorite color scheme of his. Personally, the period I really liked was his kind of like family man. Oh, era. yeah. In the movies, he's just married Priscilla. I think it's just like so striking. Uh, what did you want the costume to say about Elvis during this period? Well, I think you actually analysed it perfectly. Baz spoke about the fact that he was becoming the everyman, the family man, <laughs> the, you know, that he was easy to consume as a viewer, you know. Right. Yeah. There was no challenge and it was very much a reinvention by the colonel. You were the punk rocker and now you're the crooner. Mm-hmm. And it was quite challenging because the hairstyle is quite challenging, that kind of really slicked back style. Yeah. There's nothing to hide behind because you're with, you've got the Elvis um, up until when his hair is cut for the army. In our movie, that's Austin's hair. And then we go into wigs. And so okay. that's oh. a very exposed hairline. Yeah. you know, in a wig. So it took a while <laughs> to get that look. And then, of course, you're not going to have poor Elvis hanging around in a polo neck. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> no. From 5.30 in the morning. So we had to, and his wig was going to be put on, how do you get a polo neck on someone's head with a wig without being able to see the zipper? We couldn't see the zipper at the back. And there was a whole... We had a whole way of putting the zipper in through the actual seam, shoulder seam, and then up through the edge of the collar. But then we had a special plier thing to take off the little tag of the zipper <laughs> so you could never see it. Oh, wow. And the fitting, I think I was making everyone crazy because I was actually fitting polo necks mm. so we did buy a number of polo necks because to get that fineness mm-hmm. and the way that it's knitted you know sometimes they're fully fashioned garments but then I would be going look I don't like the way there's this wrinkle here you're going to have to reset that knit and everyone was saying it's going to be impossible it's going to look terrible how can we recut a fully fashioned knit and they did a brilliant job they did and they it's- Brilliant. Yeah. And just some of the most beautiful tailoring. And often it's the things that we see for the least amount of time. But Gloria Bava, who's worked with me and been worked as a tailor with me for 30 years, when you see the suit up close, um, like when Lisa Marie is born, his suit, it is so divine. It's a beautiful iridescent um. I want to call it shark skin. I may be wrong. Um, like divine, beautifully tailored and so simple. You know, it just has the most simple reveres, no detail on the front, but this incredibly tight fit. So it's all done by the tailoring with canvas, etc. cetera. Um, so these simple suits that don't have any kind of detail to distract from them. So if they're not perfect, they look terrible. Or the wedding <laughs> suit was 
amazing. Yeah. And it had strange details. Like the waistcoat doesn't have buttons down the front. It does up with a zipper. And I'm trying to remember, it's either under the arm at the side or up the back, the original one. So that I think Elvis must have had it made so, you know, it didn't get wrinkly at the front, but they're immaculately tailored. Yeah. All the pants immaculately tailored, but they're kind of not throwaway, but we only see them for such short periods (laughs) of time. It's so fascinating. I feel like we need a Catherine Martin Elvis museum just to see all these costumes up close. I just would love to see them. They'll never look as good on a dummy as they do on him. I mean, That's, honestly, I could see that. Austin, oh my God. He's just <laughs> the best. <laughs> I think everyone's had the same reaction watching the film. Uh, my favorite scene, and we'll wrap up with this question, is the 1968 comeback special. It's by far one of my favorite sequences uh, because. Elvis is going through a lot right now. This is kind of like his re-emergence as the Elvis that everyone fell in love with. And he has these two specific looks that I feel like, you know, you and your team had so much storytelling involved with the black leather, but then also the white gospel suit. What were you trying to say with these two specific costumes? Well, I think it's more what was Elvis trying to say and working with Bill Ballou. And I think it was about the fact that he was trying to get back to the person that he was and trying to get back closer to to his musical roots, to rhythm and blues, Mm -hmm. to the nexus of rhythm and blues, rock and roll, country and western, and that sexy rawness that he had when he was youthful. So I think that's very much what the black leather was about. Mm -hmm. And also he's connecting to kind of, the, the rebels of the 50s, Marlon Brando, but he's also, <laughs> by interpreting it shirtless, you know, with pants and a jacket, he's connecting it to kind of, you know, the motorcycle riders and the um, counterculture of the 60s. And so I think that outfit is very much about reestablishing himself as an artistic and cultural force. And then I think the white suit is very meaningful because that song is a reaction to the terrible assassinations that were happening in the late 60s. Um, the The time, this terrible time of segregation in America, all of these horrible political assassinations, the, the racial violence, the political violence, the changing times. And I think the white suit was really, um, you know, a plea for a, a more inclusive and more peaceful solution. I mean, he was not a politician and we can discuss Elvis's political views, but, I, th- you know, and he probably wasn't the most left-wing person on the planet. I mean, that's certainly documented. But I think that the thing about Elvis, Elvis is a humanist. He believed in people and kindness and connection. And I think he wanted to use music to bring people together, to build bridges, as opposed to be fueling division. And I think that's what, you know, that song that he's singing, If I Could Dream, 
is about. He's dreaming about a better place where people get along and things are about inclusion. And, you know, he he did think a lot about walking in other people's shoes. You know, he sang songs about it. And I really do believe that Elvis believed in the positive force of music. And I think it's a white costume because it's that link to a gospel costume, to has a religious connection, it has a connection to peace. So I think in in the 68 special there are those two um, counterpointing costumes. Right. There's such a balance there, and it's just so beautiful. You could tell, uh, you know, through the costumes, he had so much to say at that moment. Catherine, this has been amazing. We love talking to you. This film oh, was so you. powerful. Love talking to you too. <laughs> so powerful, so emotional. Before we let you go, I mean, what did this experience mean to you? Well, look, I am very proud that the body of work that I've been able uh, that I've been able to participate in with Baz has been about connection, universal stories that reflect on the human condition, and hopefully connect people together and allow us to reflect on who we are, what we've done wrong, how we can possibly move forward. I mean, I know this sounds very grandiose, but I just feel proud that it's a positive story about and a a tale of caution and um, a view of a very difficult time. And it reflects on the time we're in now. I think that we really need as humans to spend more time realising that we have far more in common than we do differences and that we have to be always looking back at the past to analyse who we are and where we're going and hopefully with that analysis make more positive choices. And I think the movie helps to examine a really important part you know, a very specific human journey, but also a broader historical American milieu. That's a beautiful way to end this. Catherine, we are both so honored to have you here. Um, Will you join us back next, Catherine Martin March? I mean, we have so many movies to talk about. (laughs) Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to get the children to subscribe to your podcast so they can, you know, really know, show a bit of respect. (laughs) Right. It's our new Not global the, holiday. The name, you know? <laughs> well, thank you so much. We will let you go. Thank you. All right. Well, have a lovely day. Thank you. this interview it was so insightful i i just love how much thought they put into the production the costumes like no wonder like their movies are gorgeous they just they dedicate so much time to getting it right i 
I just love, I love that so much. There's so much dedication, you know, they, they became good friends with the family and they're working on this for what she said, five years. I mean, I just can't imagine. That's why we only see so I, many Baz Luhrmann films because they put so much attention, attention into each one. Absolutely. And I'm just so excited for her and the entire crew now that it's nominated. Um, I love, I loved what she said about the nomination, you know, everyone being able to put that on their, their resume and how she's excited for everybody else, what, how it reflects on their work. So I was like, that was beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I love that she really cares about her crew and, you know, Whitney and Adams kind of told us about that too, how she really, it's an incredible team and she's, a mentor to people and she looks after her people and, you know, relies on everyone. So this is like an example of it takes a village. (laughs) Yeah. But with that, Elizabeth, I think we should play our favorite game. I think we should too. Daniel hit it. The one costume to rule them all. Spencer, what is your one costume to rule them all? I think I don't know that I've struggled with one as much as I have on this film. Right? There's so much great costuming. I Okay. Um, even at this moment, I'm not positive, but my heart is telling me to pick that pink look in that rockabilly era of Elvis when we first see him and he plays that first song with the guitar. He has everyone freaking out with the Elvis dance. I just felt like that pink and black was just so striking. It's for some reason I didn't imagine Elvis and pink, but maybe that's just my own ignorance. Mm -hmm. But it was just so beautiful against, you know, with the production design and so much about his character and who Elvis was. And he was, like she said, he was this punk, you know, who really upset like the nature of world order. So I just love that costume. But honestly, I could pick four other costumes for one costume to rule them all. This was definitely a tough one. But for me personally, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a twofer. It is the lace shirts Mm, mm -hmm. that Elvis wears. And I found it so fascinating that these, these lace um, short sleeve button downs were somewhat historically accurate. Right. At least like that really, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Elvis was wearing like lacy shirts. Right. In the 1950s. That blew my mind the first time I heard that. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, yes, Elvis. <laughs> I I really liked it right off the bat just because I, I had like some idea of like how controversial Elvis was at the time. And kind of doing like some preliminary research into some of her, you know, the other interviews she's done. I knew she kept like kind of comparing him to Harry Styles. So I was like, okay, he was like (laughs) a little bit of a like not completely like binary dressing performer. And I just felt like these shirts translated that to a modern audience in a really striking way. Yeah, I feel like some people, when they hear the Harry Styles comparison, they tend to like clench up, but it's not as obvious as we're trying to make it out to be just like, you know, in the 1950s, this was what she's getting at is like these lace shirts. And we didn't get to talk to her about it. We unfortunately ran out of time, but 
so much of his wardrobe was like inspired by his mother too. Yeah. So that really showed in his costumes as well. We could talk about this forever. I just really have such a deeper appreciation for this film, the costumes and Elvis, honestly. I mean, like you, I've always been an Elvis fan, but I've never been like a Elvis fan. And now I feel like I'm getting ready to deep dive into <laughs> documentaries and books until my eyes fall out. Yeah, like, I want to know now. I'm like... What's happening here? What's going on? Right. I feel like my introduction to Elvis as like a young person was Lilo and Stitch. So I feel like <laughs> I have a lot to catch up on. And I just really appreciate her walking through the history of this. Yeah, I, I'm excited because I mean, not Lilo and Stitch. I forgot that Elvis <laughs> wasn't Lilo and Stitch. But I was like such a like History Channel kid growing up. I have seen like one or two very random documentaries. <laughs> about elvis and now i'm like i need more information yeah we're ready to deep dive as the nerds that we are <laughs> absolutely uh if you have some thoughts and want to tell us what your one costume to rule them all was you can leave us a little voicemail at 626-515-1826 or email us at the art of costume blogcast at gmail.com spencer what are we watching next week? Well, unfortunately, this is the end of Catherine Martin March. But as you heard, it sounds like we're going to make this a tradition. So we're yeah. thinking like Moulin Rouge, perhaps, Catherine, eyebrows, mm -hmm. eyebrows. Um, but in our next episode, we are beginning our journey into sci-fi again like we did last year. And we're starting with a film. I think I'm the only person who's never seen it. Um it's called The Matrix. I don't know if y'all have heard of it. Guess what, Spencer? You're not the only person who has never seen this. Really? I have not seen it either. Oh, my gosh. I feel like our subscriber count just cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm excited to dive into The Matrix with you. I'm sure Daniel, our editor, has seen it. I'm sure he's freaking I, out right now. He's about... When he listens to this, we're about to get some text messages. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope you all will join us for the beginning of our sci-fi episodes. If you like what you heard, make sure you follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod or on TikTok at the Art of Costume. We always post small clips from our episodes with sometimes some video elements if you want to see us in action. Um, head on over to the merch store at theartofcostume.com slash podstore. And don't forget to leave us a five-star text review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can rate us there too. Also, just want to promote that our YouTube is on and popping right now. And Elizabeth and I create these really great videos that show images at the same time. So make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Yeah. If you need a little visual aid to what we're saying, it's right there on YouTube. Everybody have a fantastic two weeks and we'll see you in the Matrix. <laughs> bye bye. The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, 
head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. 